Welcome to Counter Stories, programmed by people of color, for people of color, and everybody else. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the state of Minnesota, and the comments and opinions that I state are clearly and solely my own and should not be attributed to my employer. And I'm Don Eubanks, Associate of Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group, VP of Programming at Ampers, and Counter Stories producer. And Anthony Galloway, our regular crew member, was unable to join us today, um, but we are looking forward to having him part of the discussion next time. We do have a special guest with us this afternoon that we will then welcome. Hi, my name is Emilia Gonzalez-Avalos. I am Executive Director at Unidos Minnesota. We are a grassroots statewide Latino-based organization that builds power for social, racial, and economic justice. Welcome back, Emilia. You've been uh, a guest on our um, program for a number of times over the course of the, of the year, and we always learn from you. We're so excited to have you here today. Today, we're going to be focused on a new law uh, that has been known as driver's licenses for all. So, Emilia, give us just a high-level overview of what that law entails, why it's so important for our communities across the state, uh, and then we're going to jump in uh, and entertain various questions from the crew, uh, as we usually do, and kind of get into the details. So uh, why don't you start us off, Emilia? Thank you. Uh, this uh, The driver's license for all uh, proposal was signed into a law during this legislative session in 2023. And uh, this law will be implemented and open to application or open to the public in October 1st of 2023. And folks can start making appointments at their local DNB 30 days prior to October 1st in your local county website. This driver's license for all is uh, restoring privileges or access to a driver's license to folks, regardless of immigration status, who bring their identification forms from their country of origin, are able to pass a written test and then a driver's test, just like every other Minnesotan in the state. Um, for around 20 years, this access was stalled by the governor uh, of Minnesota, Tim Pawlenty. And there was a campaign uh, and several attempts to negotiate, to get a bipartisan solution, uh, and that eventually culminated on the passage of this law as a number four priority for the House um, the House caucus uh, in Minnesota, and it became a law during the session. The it basically opened the path for identification cards from other states, from I mean, for from other countries. It opens the path for identification cards to be validated uh, or consider as a legitimate identification form. In Minnesota, in the past, you needed your foreign passport 
it, that will be considered as a legit identification. But you needed to support that passport with a visa or a worker permit that could verify that you were legally in the country, either for work or for pleasure. In this case, uh, we know that there is at least 80,000 undocumented Minnesotans who make our our state stronger, who make our country stronger, who have at least lived in in our our neighbors and, and that this is their home. And we cannot wait for the federal government to provide the solutions that we need. We also can rely on local and state government to reflect the values of Minnesotans during the legislative session. In this case, this is a groundbreaking win, a historical win, and a lot of people, a lot of children who are U.S. citizens will be able to sleep better at night because their parents will be able to drive to school, to work, to places to have fun, grocery shopping. And the other folks that will benefit from this who are also under... um, under immigration limbo are those that have now DACA. DACA is a temporary worker permit um, that is renewable every two years. And a Minnesota driver's license in the previous uh, implementation of the law will require that a DACA holder can prove that they have renewed their work permit in order to renew their driver's license. So that car holders have had only two-year driver's licenses. And if they don't have that work permit, the license gets suspended until they can prove they have their work permit. Because this new law removes status check, it means that everybody is going to be able to obtain a license if they pass a test, if they can drive uh, in their examination and they pass the examination. And people can renew every four years, regardless of immigration status or work permit or having your DACA delayed or not. So a lot of lives are going to be improved after October 1st. And we're very excited and also (laughs) busy. Indeed you are. So you said a lot for us to digest. So I'm going to emphasize a couple of things and then uh, turn it over to the crew to to begin to ask your questions as well. First of all, Tim Pawlenty, when he was governor back in 2003, uh, decided that he couldn't pass this, get this change through the legislative process. So instead, he went for a rulemaking process and um, required them proof of legal residency. Before that, folks who didn't have final documentation, immigration status, they had access to this right, right? So let's make sure that our audience knows that this is not something new. And I, I really appreciate that, how you framed it. You said restoring the rights, because that's, in fact, what, what this is. Um, and back then, Governor Pawlenty was using the 9-11 bombing in New York as a scare tactic uh, to scare folks 
uh, and policymakers to agree to this. It didn't didn't succeed at the legislative uh, arena. And, and myself, when I was working mm. for Mayor Chris Coleman back then, um, I took a, a role in defeating uh, his initiatives back uh, 20 years ago. The second point that I think uh, should be emphasized, and you alluded to this in your comment, is that we're not the only state in the country that allows this. We are joining other states. There are at least 18 other states that allow for the driver's license access for folks whose uh, immigration status is not final, as well as uh, D.C. And that this is a measure that historically has been supported by law enforcement, which is the other element that you have, have alluded to in media. Uh, and they see this as a safety measure for everyone. That means folks then will be taking their driver's test, just as you said, right? Uh, and they are, are going to be insured. And so we want everybody to have those skill sets, uh, driving skill sets when they're on the road, first and foremost, and we want folks to be insured. So these are all key elements that folks should remember and keep in mind when they're thinking about this new law. Yes, I agree. I think, um, you know, this is a life-changing, like an immediate life-changing type of law. You know, I've known people who couldn't get their driver's licenses because they're undocumented. But, and we talked about this issue last show, you know, the Twin Cities isn't a very walkable uh, area. We don't have the best public transit. So people are driving anyway. You know, they need to get their kids to school. They need to go grocery shopping. They need to get to jobs across the city. Um, and this allows them to be insured. This allows them to have the proper training to be able to do so. And so this is really a safety issue for everybody on the streets is that now everybody is getting all the training, the same training, going through the same tests to make sure that they know all the laws and are driving safely in the state. Because I've, I've known people, I've, I've, I've taken the fall for someone before, you know, who was in an accident and we switched spots because he was undocumented and didn't have his license, but he was, he was driving us around at the time. You know, and this so I can see that just how life changing this could be for folks like my friend who, you know, it was a little fender bender, but it was it cost a lot, you know, for both of us because of that situation that we were in. Um, I've known folks who didn't even realize they were undocumented until they were 16 and tried to go get their driver's license, you know, and and deterred them from whatever life they were, whatever path they were on, you know, he was a straight A student. And after he learned that he was undocumented, his parents never told him, but he couldn't get a driver's license. He kind of, he was just like, well, this means I'm never going to get into college. I'm never going to be able to do this, you know, and, and kind of just took a different route in his life. I mean, this is a law that is, is going to see immediate life changes for people in the state. That is right. Um, I think the world looked very different when, when the access was uh, blocked by this um, rhetoric of, of, of fear and, and a scarcity. And there was a time during the Obama administration where we thought, this is, we can fix this at the federal level. We have enough votes. There's a, a decent bill. 
And um, and when we saw measures, federal measures like DACA and DAPA moving through um, through the law and and all the challenges and the pushback in in I think there was a moment where many of us were skeptical about the anti-immigrant uh, power that came to mm-hmm. be and, and caused so much pain and, and family separation in our community. And driver's license is not the big solution. It is not the comprehensive immigration reform that folks have been organizing for. However, it is a common sense, a state-based solution that can help us restore not only the access to to a driving card and uh, a state ID, but it also allows us to, to be testing this change management when many folks have lived under the shadows for such a long time in order to survive, fully come clean in, in authenticity and, uh, and, and, and submit their, their documentations of identity to a state agency in full trust and good faith. And I think that is um, a, an exercise, a driver's test for the work that is still to get done on the federal level. But like I said, there's going to be many families who are going to sleep better at night. Uh, the, the the driver's license or an ID card, because people are going to be able to get also a dry, uh, an ID identification card, those uh, those credentials, those, those IDs are going to be able to provide folks with an, an additional tool to advocate for themselves at, uh, at, at in front of the state, with their landlord, perhaps with an employer at school, because this is such a common document that you need for all things uh, about the life of any Minnesotan. So a landlord is not going to be able to discriminate against folks regardless of immigration status because there's a suspicion that this person might not uh, have a worker permit because they're not using a state ID. That is going to be mitigated. Uh, a person who is um, who is having fun or wanting to prove their age to be able to uh, drink, they're not mm-hmm. gonna be able, they're not gonna be questioned in the bar. Mm-hmm. Like it is it is such an important tool to be able to drive in Greater Minnesota during the cold winters or the hot summers. But it is also just an everyday tool that will give you a sense of a dignified um a dignified way of being in Minnesota as Minnesotans. And we are incredibly excited. Uh, we are making sure that an, an implementation is equitable. And we also need to, as a community, need to wrestle with the amount of work that, they, that this took and the amount of work that we have to still do to protect it uh, and making sure that uh, this and other measures, other pro-immigrant measures are are not weaponized during elections. So 
we have the work definitely cut out for us, but we're also very, very motivated. So, Amelia, um, I know people keep talking about safety. I hope safety is one of the things that kind of results with this because prior to this change, there are plenty of idiots who have driver's licenses that don't drive safe. So all you have to do is get in your car and drive around each day and you'll you'll experience you'll experience mm-hmm. it. So I'm hoping safety is a byproduct of this. But the thing that I, I was I just kind of looked it up and and um so it, the the law states that when you turn 21, you can go on and apply. What happens to 16 to 21 year olds? Right. I mean, because here the natural progression is you get your uh, learner's permit when you're 15. You learn how to drive. You take behind the wheel that all you take some classroom stuff. Then you go past the test and then you get your learner's permit when you turn or uh, when you turn 15. But then you get your license when you're 16. It's provisional to you turn 21, but you can start it then. Does this law allow that same type of progression to happen? Yes. So it is It is also accessible to minors who don't have to prove their immigration status. And that is such an important point because there's like a milestone. Um, being able to access driver's ed and doing this with your friends and like who's going to get the permit. It's like a big milestone in high school years. Mm-hmm. And there was a time uh, when this law was uh, with, with, with a new measure of not um, allowing folks to get a driver's license uh, because of immigration status. There's a whole generation of high schoolers who didn't have a status who learned that they were indeed undocumented because they could not join this milestone in, a, in their high school. There's a, a bunch of Minnesotans who had been protected by their parents' decision of not telling them how is that that we were living and, and, and playing and existing in this state until uh, it was time to get your driver's permit. And that opened also the conversation about college and what am I going to do? And and that became sort of uh, like a breakthrough moment for people to uh, to understand about, to, uh, to come to an understanding in such a young age about the condition and immigration laws and the opportunities to, to, to build a public life on the issues that you care about or not. It really depended where you grew up, but... Uh, what you say is it just brought memories about uh, our work in, in or like my my role as a, a, an activist in the early 2000s, because I was one of the lucky ones that was able to get a driver's license. I turned 16 in 2008, I mean, in 1998, and I was able to get my my work permit, my my driver's permit. I was able to get my driver's license. But then younger peers after 2003 were not able to do that. Uh, so it's also the anxiety 
that every four years, you don't know if you're going to get yours renewed. You don't know if you're going to get someone at the window that is not going to be on their best five minutes and, and say, well, you don't have a social security. You're not going to be able to renew your driver's license. And I know that I had a lot, even while undocumented, I had access to basic uh to basic things, just being able to have disposable time and not being on public transportation and uh, making sure that my my dad was not worried about me all the time while I was driving because I had that driver's license. I could open a bank account. I could open my own business. I was able to open my own business and be the source of my employment myself uh, and open my own LLC because I had that Minnesota State card and I was I cleaned houses for many, many years because I had that driver's license that was sheltered in those years before 9-11. So I am I am excited about the opportunities that can open up also for our undocumented youth. And uh, we're having those conversations across the state from Worthington to St. Cloud, from Spring Lake Park to Brooklyn Center, Red Wing. Owatonna, Northfield, uh, Minneapolis, and the suburbs, and um, and people are excited and also eager to to learn and to share tips and and we have like several uh, WhatsApp groups with with people asking questions about the test and like where can I download <laughs> the manual and and all the things that. Um, that are pertinent to to being ready by October first. Ooh, does that mean they're gonna are the man do the manuals come in uh, different languages other than English? Yes. Yes. So. Oh, all right. Yes, yeah, so the Department of Motor Vehicles has an array of several translated manuals that are available online, so you can download it for free at uh, the Department of Motor Vehicles, or if you want a printed copy, you can be a lucky one and pick one up at your local library. So Hennepin County, for instance, is very interested in in increasing their supply of Spanish uh, manuals, uh, but we know that it's not the only uh, language that is going to be needed. So uh, if there's any language need out there that you guys might know or that anyone in the audience thinks that it's also needed and it's not available out there, uh, you can send us an email at info at unidos.mn.org and we can uh, mobilize and organize around that ask. Uh, but yeah, the, the manuals, the free downloadable manuals are available and your local libraries have, has printed copies. Emilia, you've done such a great job uh, highlighting the humanity uh, behind this. I mean, really, if we think about the immigrant population across our state and across our country, for that matter, across the world, immigrants uh, who don't have authorized status have had to be in the shadows, live in the shadows. And the simple things that you've highlighted, being able to go to work, being able to drop your children off at daycare, uh, being able to not be stigmatized by your classmates in high school that you're not able to drive, so therefore you you must be undocumented, right? There, there's so much there. Right. Um, 
But talk to us a little bit more about, you know, some of the the compelling stories that, that you've heard that really illustrate the need for this. You know, that I couldn't help but to think that at the height of the pandemic, and we're not out of it, you know, families who who needed medical attention and having to fear getting behind the wheel without status and without a driver's license or taking their loved one uh, to the hospital. You know, nothing becomes more important uh, than making that life-threatening decision, for one. Uh, and then within that question also, this is not just a Latino issue, right? We think mm-hmm. about the Asian diaspora, the African diaspora uh, communities, and and how impactful this will be across all of these communities. Can you speak a little bit more about those two points? As we shared uh, during our conversations and research visits at the Minnesota legislative uh, session, everybody knows and loves an undocumented uh, relative, friend, neighbor, classmate. And this is not an uh, an exclusive Latino issue. Uh, We have a high density of undocumented folks. My guess is geographical. Uh, we are closest to the hemisphere and geographically folks migrate north uh, and, and it's easier without simplifying the easier, right? It's, it's, not, it's not easy to leave your country of origin and your surroundings, your familiarity to embark on um, a situation in which you know you're going to have a lot of challenges because people know that. They're coming here to work, and it's not always in the best conditions, uh, but people are pursuing uh, a dream. Uh, So the stories are so many. Uh, There was a a family from uh, Mankato who testified about the need of delivering a baby during a cold, snowy winter and not having access to transportation and how they were looking for rides. And because there was a snowstorm, nobody wanted to take a rest to take him to the closest hospital. Um, he, there's, they say, and a lot of people in our community say, I don't have a, they say, I don't have a, a license. I only have the license of the Lord. <laughs> and they will just uh, trust and and be moved by faith, and faith will motivate their perseverance. And say a prayer as they are leaving out the door and hope to come back. That is how this uh, this be- beautiful family from Southern Minnesota said. Well, you know, we needed to go to the hospital, and then we say our prayer. And we asked the Lord for permission to leave as two and to come back as three. Um, and they did come back as three. And uh, the little toddler that they had uh, was also doing his rounds at the Minnesota State Capitol as their parents were sharing their story uh, with uh, Senator Nick Franz, uh, who is the senator from Mankato, North Mankato. And uh, and the representatives, Luke Frederick uh, and, and others in Southern Minnesota. Um, there is uh, 
there there I think there's there's a lot of stories of hardship going to the hospital or paying an amount an, an incredible amount of money for rights to be able to be picked up outside of your home and the, and dropped off at the mm-hmm. workplace and mm-hmm. back and forth or folks getting up at four in the morning to be able to be on time at, at the workplace at six in the morning, riding public transportation and transit. And uh, there's there's uh, a lot of also stories about what are they going to do when they have this? So we, we witness families promising their children, now you're going to enroll in that basketball league that you wanted to. I'm going to be mm. able to be in your swimming tournaments that, you know, sometimes I'm not able to be at because by the time I take the bus and I get there, it's too late. Uh, we're going to be able to to go to the to the, Minas- the beautiful Minnesota State Parks and actually be able to bring our things, like to bring our grill and our food. And, you know, Latinos. When I we love that. I love barbecues, that. We go all the way, right? <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, from barbecues to days at the park to visiting relatives uh, uh, that are in other states. Uh, people are excited. People are hopeful. And uh, and it's a combination of a lot of years of work because this was done by so many uh, and, and a lot of people that some of them are not even uh, here with us. Uh, so... It is, uh, we will continue. I think it's a good idea, Luz. Maybe we should we should start recording the stories for next year, like the one year after implementation. How has this bill empowered mm-hmm. um, undocumented Minnesotans? How did your life change? Right, right. Mm-hmm. How, how are we making our community better because of this? And bringing that humanity, right? And I think... Just listening to your stories gave me joy in my heart and my senses that holds true for the rest of the crew with us yeah. uh, and then yeah. our listeners as well, right? It's a, it's it's finding joy in the most simplest of acts that reflect someone's humanity that previously had been denied. Um, and that's what life's all about, right? It's not about material possessions. It's about those life experiences that bring us joy and brings us together with each other to share uh, life experiences, but also share the love that we hold for each other uh, as human beings. Yes, and and that is such an important, um, it's it's medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It is medicine because, you know, when, when we are in fight and flight, in survival mode, our, our nervous system is entirely overstimulated, right? We are over analytical and over surveil, surveilling our surroundings, making sure that uh, we are safe and that we're able to make it back home. Um, just the, 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 the sound of a police car or seeing a, 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 a police car close to us is, is enough to just build that tension in your in your spine and, and get super uh stimulated and, and over exacerbated in your nervous system that also causes illness it causes okay. Uh, okay. a different bodily response and one thing that we were 
that we were talking about is how these new memories of the sons and daughters of immigrants who have been participants of this campaign, their parents taught them that if they work with their peers and if they're persistent and if they're courageous, change can happen. And that is also a new um, a new stimulation to our nervous system. How can we replace the fight and flight trauma with the joy and the knowledge and the resilience that comes uh, when we are able to move community-based solution solutions into the public arena and and be fully integrated, uh, fully present and whole in these campaigns and in these experiences and sharing our story and making sure the campaign is also ours, right? This is everyone's campaign. Nobody can say I was more of this or more of that. Like every everybody and nobody owns this campaign to in, in a very profound way. And, and I hope that we continue to model that type of powerful joy. Um, the true progress and the true chemical restoration through through winning on issues and organizing on issues because our lives depend on that. So I am I am very um, curious about the stories of how this campaign impacted people that were not at the forefront, didn't make it on the photo, were not like the social media star or didn't share their story in the newspaper, but like the, the regular folks in the sacredness of their home, how were they impacted and how can we continue to provide the positive stimulation for our community to keep healing, but not in an abstract sense, but in concrete system change, good public policy that brings people together and communities together. And brings them hope. Yes. Brings them hope, right? We haven't, the immigrant community has had few moments of hope. I think what you said was was really beautiful, and uh, I don't want to be the downer, but there has been a lot of opposition, right? It has taken you more than 10 years of working on this issue, and one of um, the key talking points uh, is that uh, this opens a pathway for voter fraud. Um, you know, anybody being able to get an ID can show up at any voting poll and just show their ID and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I can vote legally now because I have this ID. And I think that was one of the key talking points that I've heard. Um, and so what, what have you guys been as, as advocates, as organizers, um, you know, how has the response been um, to that kind of feedback from people who are opposing um, this this movement of of the driver's license for all. I think um, sophistry played a very big role 
in uh, is playing a very big role in politics today. We see fake news at the state, local, and national level. Uh, that it's it's this stimuli dedicated to ensure people are in a state of shock, and and this the the fear inducing shocks uh, that get people scared out of the scare out of the foreigner, the quote-unquote alien, the unknown. And um, fact facts matter. So one important fact is that there is no data that backs a significant or even incidence of voting fraud in the state of Minnesota. There has been other states where they have tried to bring that argument to the poll to to the courts and the argument does not stand it's hard um, because it's just a talking point undocumented uh, undocumented immigrants are not motivated to vote in any part of the country because uh and like Lucy's an attorney she knows about this a whole more lot than me it's an inadmissibility for any immigrant who votes and it's not a U.S. citizen yet. So what is that? That means that if if I am not a citizen yet, I'm a permanent resident, if I go and vote, I am, um, I am ruining the chances of becoming a U.S. citizen because I posed as a U.S. citizen without being one. And that is penalized in the civil law of immigration. Uh, so no, there's there's there isn't lines and lines of undocumented folks trying to elect anybody. That is uh, a polarized political talking point. And what I argue to anti-immigrant politicians is that they should not worry about undocumented folks trying to vote. They should worry about the U.S. citizens who are building a powerful pro-immigrant block in the nation who think that immigration is their number one issue and they're motivated to vote for whomever has their values in place and, and the, their party is losing. That's who they should be worried about, not fake news about voter fraud. Um, the arguments were vitriolic at the floor and in, during the hearings. And it's important that our community knows that they know they're lying. They know it's not real. And it's a th theatrical uh, tactic to distract us from, from the very uh, damaging agenda in which they rely on racial tensions to not mm -hmm. govern democratically with the people and for the people of the United States of America. And instead, um, they work with uh, the most powerful corporations to keep our wages low, to keep our benefits diluted, and to keep us away from the democratic process. I mean, I'm so glad you answered in the way that you did. Um, I practiced immigration law a while ago, uh, more than a decade ago, I should clear. Um, 
immigrants are so well-informed and savvy about what their rights are and what the dangers are. They're the most careful about making sure they don't risk their status. They've worked hard to get a green card, which is a lawful permanent residency um, status. There's no way that someone is going to work that hard for more than 10 years, sometimes 20 years and longer, to risk it all for the vote. It makes no sense. And by the way, most folks can still vote back in their home country um, by way of, you know, they can be in the U.S. and have and have status to be able to still vote back in Mexico or, you know, another part of, of Latin American um, diaspora. So it's just such a ignorant um, baseline for policymakers. And ignorant, I mean uninformed. Um, and, and maybe even, you know, evil, if you want to go that far, um, to be able to, per, you know, perpetuate this fallacy, as you said, th there's no truth to it whatsoever. And yet it continues to be this fear mongering tactic that sells. Uh, there, there's a segment in our society that responds to fear mongering and that's the audience that they're targeting. I will also say, um, every undocumented, um, immigrant I know is pays their taxes every year because they want at some point if they have the availability and the opportunity to become a citizen that the government can look back and see that they have been paying their taxes every year and that that will help their chances of becoming a citizen as well. It is my my father has so much pride on his his tax contribution even though the man has contributed so much and and didn't get to to have like regular family tax breaks like everyone else. But he will say things like, uh, you know, I, I used to clean that building when I was in back in 1990 something. And like, of course I have to pay my fair share. How do you think we have these beautiful state parks and all this infrastructure? So like there is, I think it is also part of living and, and building a, a public life as regular community members to understand that building the community that we want to see actually means that we're investing. That's, that's really making sure that our investments are seen across our community. It's not just secluded in like very nice Southwest Minneapolis or Edina, but making sure that all those investments are reaching us regardless of zip code or our wage. And um, I think uh, the, the folks understand that if, if you want to live uh, with the kind of infrastructure that we pride ourselves as Minnesotans, then it's evident that we must pay our fair share. We get that as regular people. It's just, you know, not nice to hear that corporations don't want to pay their fair share. Like share the toys. We all we're we're all putting in. We're all sharing. Uh, so it's it is uh, it is a value. Definitely, it's a value that is held in in Minnesota immigrant families. So what Amelia just shared and what you just talked about, um, you know, from the question from Hilly was educational for me. It Amelia was able to describe it in a manner that that I think 
a lot of folks, including myself, who's never had to worry about immigration or immigration status. And, and, and the way Amelia explained that makes perfect good sense for someone who's, who's been uh, trying to achieve citizenship and it takes that long would jeopardize it to go in and vote for the lesser of two evils. I, now, now I'm being facetious there, but you know me, I'm, this is counter stories. And so often the candidates we have to choose from are not always the cream of the crop. And so why am I going to jeopardize my chances of becoming a citizen? And, and to me, that makes perfect good sense. And the fact that um, so many of us are unaware of that dynamic involved. Now, on a lighter note, I just wanted to ask Emilia if there's any situation because now we're moving from from the state but you know you can so you can now get your license at 21 with no problem but you still can't rent a car to 26 now that's the insurance company right <laughs> so again i'm saying this is lighthearted. so are you guys going to do a campaign to change that so when you when you get your license at 21 you can rent a car at 21 and i know that has to do with insurance <laughs> and race so i am making this a little bit lighthearted. <laughs> Uh, but I'm I'm just wondering anyways. <laughs> yeah, I think once this is in full implementation, there's a whole issue about insurance and how costs are dri driven up that we can definitely have a community conversation and see what are the common sense solutions. We know that, um, for example, in Minnesota, not having a driver's license, a driver's license didn't mean that you could not buy an insurance policy. So these insurance originators will charge a lot of money for people to get a car insured, even if they didn't have a driver's license. Mm. So those folks are going to see a lot of money going out of their pockets. Uh, and, and we're going to have a community that can have just a little bit more of this possible income for recreation or for taking like a vacation fund or whatever it is. Uh, but now with, with having an identification or a driver's license, we'll be able to even participate further in the community with shared issues on in the shared solutions that we want to build together. So this is definitely getting us in a, in a much uh, equitable playing field to be able to, to continue to innovate as a community. What's next for us? Can we drive those insurance prices down? Or maybe we can that we do something about healthcare. I don't know. There's a, the sky is the limit. Emilia, I'm going to ask one last question, just a point of clarification, so that our listeners can be well informed, but also be part of holding um, the government of Minnesota accountable. Which it goes to in terms of the law allows now folks who can get a regular driver's license, right? We're not talking about commercial driver's license. That's something else. We're talking about class D. And it does not apply to what's called a real ID or an enhanced ID. It, it applies only to a plain ID card. And we all know that the real ID is required um, to fly effective, to take a, a flight May 7th of 2025. So so, so that folks know, right, there, there are, it's not a free-for-all. There are still some limitations there. Uh, and then the last part of my point that I want you to respond to is, in the law, it's very specific that the Department of Public Safety, which is the department responsible for issuing driver's license, 
is not allowed to ask applicants about their citizenship or immigration status, right? They're not allowed to do that, which is going to be something really important to pay attention to because the minute these clerks in uh, some red areas around the state start to do that, we need to hold folks accountable, right? So we need to help each other understand that that is not allowed by law uh, and that employees of the Department of Public Safety, so in the DVS, uh, Department of Vehicle, uh, Jarmus Vehicle Services, cannot share any information with ICE unless it's done so through a court order. So if you want to respond to that to make sure that our listeners understand that these protections are there, but we also need their help to ensure that the protections are carried out. Absolutely. Well, that is, uh, we we like to say that this is one of the best pro-immigrant bills in the country, precisely because of what you just mentioned. It has data privacy protections that are not just good for undocumented folks. This is good for every other Minnesotan. Uh, being able to access a classy driver's license if you don't want to be part of the national database that is protected by the Department of Homeland Security, which is also another measure originated after 9-11, then you can still get your class D driver's license. You won't be able to get in a federal building or an airplane after 2025, but you'll be able to drive in Minnesota and making sure that your data is protected. In case if you're an undocumented person, it means that nobody can just request a FOIA or have a subpoena and get a whole list of all the undocumented Minnesotas that exist in the state and, uh, and use this list for perversive or uh, family separation objectives. So we made sure, learning from the Trump administration, that there was some sense of protection and understanding that if there are folks that committed serious violent crimes, uh, there is uh, already laws and regulations in place that can ensure that that data is accessible to the pertinent uh, institutions that are and should be able to execute the law. But if you're minding your business, if you're not committing crimes, you should not be fearful of putting your name and coming clean in front of the state. Um, and yes, discretionary implementation is something that is very, very hard to oversee. So we don't know what's going to be, like we, we have some information about the cultural competence that the Department of Motor Vehicles is pursuing on the implementation side of, of this law. Uh, but, you know, every worker, every person comes to the workplace with their own bias, their own belief systems, mm -hmm. their own values. And this provision of, of the law makes sure that you're, you're allowed to have your values, you're allowed to have your, your, um, your beliefs, even if they're wrong, but you don't have the right to be an obstacle to anyone that has the right to access this document. And if you do that, you will be sanctioned and you will be sanctioned monetarily. Uh, and, and folks can have also, uh, they, 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 there's a body, folks can complain about this too with the Department of um, Human Rights. And, uh, and it is just important to make sure that we are serious about an equitable implementation of this law. Emilia, thank you so much and your team for all the hard work that you have championed 
uh, to get this legislation passed. You were being very modest earlier and uh, certainly as a collectivist, sharing uh, the honor and, and the glory. But folks in community know that you have been front and center on this for over 10 years. I, I don't want to date you, but for some time. So thank you so much, you and um, your, your coworkers, your colleagues, everyone who really never gave up and, and continue to give uh, our communities hope where um, hope did not exist. So thank you for all of your hard work um, and um, keep going. Thank you. Thank you so much, you guys. Um, as an anecdote, um, driver's license was the number four bill in the priority list of the Minnesota House Caucus. And as soon as we got that done and over with before, it was around the first deadline, uh, we rested for a few days and then we recharged and people were so motivated. We just uh, deployed the campaign for Minnesota Care and we won it. So this is, um, we're very excited about all the things that were accomplished. Minnesota Care is the largest investment of undocumented folks in the history of the state. The, the budget allocated is around $148 million per year. So the folks that need it the most will have access to their medical insurance. And, and again, this is the Minnesota Care program. And people will be also paying a fair share as well. So again, this is this is another example of how folks are willing to contribute and to build the best line for a, for a healthy and equitable state. It's beautiful. Thank you. Well, this has been Counter Stories, program by people of color, for people of color, and everybody else. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General for the State of Minnesota. Any opinions and comments I've made are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer. And I'm Don Eubanks, associate at Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group, VP of Programming at Ampers and Counter Stories producer. And this is Emilia Gonzalez Avalos, executive director at Unidos Minnesota. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. <laughs>